Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. This is familiar violence to too many of us, especially of those of us who are on the receiving end, whose communities have been over-policed, whose children learn early on that police officers aren't always serving and protecting them as they should. That's Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes in the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Barnes was born and raised in Milwaukee, and he's the first ever black person elected to that position. The shooting is shining a fresh light on the realities facing black Wisconsinites. Mark Levine is a professor emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He published an in-depth study just last month on racial inequality in the nation's largest metro areas, including the Milwaukee area. Here's something shocking. Milwaukee and the southeast part of Wisconsin rank at or near the bottom on virtually all measures of black community well-being, not just in the Midwest, but for the entire country. Professor Levine is also the founding director for the Center for Economic Development. Hello, Professor. Thanks very much for having me. Also, I'd like to welcome Dominique Samari. She's a partner at P3 Development Group, a Milwaukee-based firm that helps design programs and initiatives that drive equitable and inclusive change. She just wrote an op-ed for Urban Milwaukee called A City and Life That's Segregated on the Different Experiences for Black People in Milwaukee. Dominique, welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, Mark, I mentioned your study covers metro areas across the nation, but you included those areas south of Milwaukee along the lake, including Racine and Kenosha. What are black residents dealing with in those spots that might be different than other places around the country? Well, Kenosha looks a lot like the negative trends that I've documented for Milwaukee and quite a few other metropolitan areas. I mean, the black community in Kenosha is you know, highly impoverished. About one-third of African Americans in Kenosha live below the poverty line. There's a huge level of non-employment, either being unemployed or completely out of the labor force among working age, uh, particularly Africa, African-American males, you know, around 42 percent. Huge, a huge number. Um, there's a there's a high level of incarceration uh, for uh, black males in Kenosha. Uh, Milwaukee has a reputation of being among the most incarcerated uh, cities in the country, and Kenosha's rate uh, is the same as Milwaukee's. Uh, so, uh, you know, the conditions are are pretty dire, I think, for the African American community in Kenosha. It's a much smaller black community than Milwaukee's. There are about uh, twelve thousand or so African Americans in in Kenosha, but it's very much the situation in microcosm of entrenched racial inequality and segregation. Yeah, and, and it really does. And, and you don't rarely hear this story, but southeastern Wisconsin has the majority of the state's black population. And that that's not a coincidence to to seeing how the how the how these rates, these things you just talked about, played out. Absolutely, um, you know, well over seventy-five percent of the state's African American population lives basically in the Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha corridor. Um, and within that corridor, the African-American community is highly segregated, concentrated into impoverished neighborhoods, neighborhoods that have very low rates of social mobility. There are a lot of uh, people in the community who get you know, what sociologists call stuck in place, multi-generationally in poverty. Um, and uh, 
those conditions, uh, shockingly, as I documented in the study that I just released, you know, have not improved over the last 50 years. And in fact, on most indicators, uh, the conditions for African Americans in uh, Milwaukee, in the greater Milwaukee area, uh, have, have gotten worse. And that applies for Kenosha as well, because you see in the dropping out of the industrial economy in Kenosha, which at least provided some, some decent uh, family-supporting manufacturing jobs for, for African Americans and for Kenoshans at large. Mm-hmm. Dominique, you, you wrote about uh, Levine's research in your op-ed, Professor Levine's research. Uh, it was a really interesting point about uh, sad to not see the Democratic National Convention actually come to Milwaukee because you were excited about shining a light on the, on the city's disparities. Talk about that. Last year, I conducted a what I called a curiosity project where I talked to 72 diverse Milwaukeeans about how they create a sense of belonging Um, for themselves in such a segregated city like Milwaukee. And so the opportunity I saw inside of the DNC was um, based on what I heard during those interviews is that people recognize that it's a huge problem, but they literally can't envision a city that is a Milwaukee that is not segregated. Mm. So the real opportunity for me um, was not only to shine a bright light on our disparities, I think, you know, as you all mentioned in the opening, Milwaukee leads uh, the nation in um, disparities for African-Americans, but also to give the folks here a chance to see what a different version, a different manifestation of Milwaukee could look like, to see what a more integrated, more cohesive Milwaukee could look like. And perhaps that would trigger really um, some ideas about how we come out of that and start to build a more inclusive and desegregated Milwaukee. Well, you see it, uh, you see it all the time, too, and even with the DNC uh, promotional reels and, and, and showing Milwaukee and how great Milwaukee is, but, but really just showcasing white people or, or white spaces uh, in, in Milwaukee and not necessarily showing it as a vibrant, um, multicultural city. That's correct. The segregation here is so deep, so profound, so long-standing that until very recently, it really hadn't even occurred to people to be inclusive in the telling of the story of Milwaukee. And so what has happened here because of the deep segregation is that there's an othering that takes place that um, allows huge flaws of our communities, specifically the communities of color, to be completely forgotten and disregarded. And when they are talked about, when we are included in the narrative, we're always included in the narrative that focuses on the disparities. And so never lifting up the successes um, inside of that community, the cultural contributions, the assets of that community, it's always through a lens of deficit as opposed to the assets, which for me just continues to reinforce the othering. Yeah, it perpetuates it. Uh, Dominique Samari is the partner at P3 Development Group, a Milwaukee-based firm that helps design programs and initiatives that drive equitable and inclusive change. Also with me, Professor Mark Levine, Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. You know, as we talk about some of the issues that that have played out that have exacerbated the disparities in southeastern Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha, policing has to come in, Professor Levine. That that has to be a part of this. And and I know just from doing a, a minimal amount of research after the shooting of Jacob Blake, there has been a concern, a uh, an animosity between co- communities of color and the Kenosha police for some time. 
that has to be part of what you're finding in your study, just the way, the way these communities are policed as well. Right. I mean, the policing issue is obviously a central issue, and not only in Milwaukee, but obviously in cities across the country. I mean, obviously from Minneapolis on through the summer with the emergence of the response to the, to the murder of George Floyd, um, I mean, this is this is an ongoing problem, obviously, in in uh, the African American communities uh, uh, across the country. But it's it's clearly a serious issue uh, in in Kenosha and uh, in, in in Milwaukee, and Racine, for that matter. Um, you know, there have been numerous studies, for example, that have shown, again, in terms of disparities, disparities in the number of police stops, uh, disparities in in in, in Particularly, the number of uh, stops of uh, of drivers, uh, you know, driving while black, is a, is a you know, well-known uh, meme in uh, in Milwaukee. You know, all sorts of disparities. Then, as you move along into the criminal justice system, which obviously re- revolves a lot around prosecutorial discretion and whether prosecutors prosecute cases uh, African Americans versus uh, individuals who are not African American, and there are great disparities there. And that then is a pipeline which leads us all the way up to obviously the huge racial disparities in incarceration where the incarceration rate for blacks over whites is between 10 and 15 times uh, the number i mean the disparity is that much is that, is that great so policing is a very important issue it goes back of course many many years when we know for example that the uh, unrest in urban areas, including Milwaukee in the 1960s, uh, the linchpin in almost every one of those uh, uh, uprisings uh, was, in fact, a, uh, an issue of either police brutality or dispute over police issues or, or worse. So absolutely, policing is at the center of this, but it needs to be, again, and I think you've done this, put, this, put into the context of the overall levels of inequality uh, that pervade uh, African-American communities in southeastern Wisconsin. Dominique, I want to get back to something you said about othering. And, and this concept, uh, especially when we're talking about uh, a bit, an urban city or, or especially a city that might be in the throes of redevelopment or renovating uh, their image or, or essentially, you know, when you see all the tourism uh, dollars that are thrown at trying to get people to downtown Milwaukee. You also think about the state of Wisconsin, which uh, has had this, I don't, I mean, this, I don't even want to say it's a stereotype, but it's been this place that's like European immigrants, dairy farms, uh, a, a lot of um, uh, whiteness, if you will. And it, it seems that in a way that, that, that when we talk about that othering, that there is this kind of way that, that, that communities of color are in, in Wisconsin are kind of uh, brushed to the side or, or put in one place. So how does that play with, with what you're trying to do with, an ec- with uh, equity and inclusion and the work that you're doing at P3? So you're right that the concentration of African-Americans in the southeast corner has created this interesting dynamic between Milwaukee, I would say Racine and Kenosha, kind of the Southeast region and the rest of the state, which is primarily rural and in in large part white. I think as we look at our work, we look at supporting equity and inclusion first in Milwaukee, but then across the region. And something that uh, you pointed out in your conversation with, with Mark, the disparities aren't new. What I think is new about this conversation um, is that others are getting engaged. Like mm-hmm. the police violence is a door that has created a crack and have pe- has people looking at the disparities either for the first time or in a new way. 
and people are getting engaged at higher levels than I've seen since I've moved to Milwaukee. So I feel like it's just an entry point into creating the conversation around these inequities. For a lot of people, people that weren't involved in social justice work or weren't studying this closely, like this is fairly new to them. But for those of us who have been engaged in the work, you know, this we know that these things are longstanding. And so my hope is that we've really walked through a door um, and that the cracks are starting to show and that we'll be able to create holes and then from that point, tear it down. But the first part really is around awareness. And I think this conversation around police violence and communities of color really has created for a lot of people who may not have been aware the initial awareness that was needed. It, it's startling to me. Uh, just looking at the at the the part about incarceration, Professor Levine. It, it seems, uh, as we just said, I mean, those are issues that are at the center of a movement for racial justice in this country. But when you look at southeastern Wisconsin, it, it's almost a little bit like an anomaly. I mean, there's, it's bigger than you would think it would be. It's it's huge, um, and I think. The startling thing for me as I've done this research um, is the degree to which uh, southeastern Wisconsin, but particularly Milwaukee is the largest city there, stand above other metropolitan areas in the country, other cities in the country, in the levels of disparity. I mean, it's not as if, you know, you're in Chicago. It's not as if that Chicago's, you know, the center of racial justice in America. I mean, right. Chicago ranks very poorly on lots of these indicators. It's the third most segregated metropolitan area in the country. Um, places like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, I mean, they're all really showing these huge and enduring disparities. But what shocks me every time I do a study like this or look at other elements of this situation is how across the board Milwaukee for the well-being of African Americans will rank either last or next to last or certainly in the bottom five or the bottom ten of metropolitan areas in the country. And so I think that's where you know, I like, I like Dominique's uh, notion of a door opening. That ought to be a door opening to saying, you know, why right. year after year are we in that position? And I think hopefully those things will begin to change. Well, there, there was a, uh, several years back, there was a 17-year-old named Lou Blank. Uh, that he did a, a research uh, project uh, researching housing and segregation in the state. Discovered half of the black neighborhoods and communities are actually concentrated around jails. Are you familiar with that? I mean, just the concept, and it was a big deal a, a couple of years back that that the communities of color are centered around the prisons and the jails that are in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, no, I hadn't seen that study. Uh, that's interesting. It makes sense. We have a jail certainly in downtown Milwaukee, and we've got uh, an African American uh, segregated neighborhood bordering right on it. So, I mean, depends yeah. how you define, obviously, you know, the neighborhood, but 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 clearly the connection between, um, you know, the Historian Khalid Muhammad uh, wrote a great book on the con- condemnation of blackness, in which he talks about you know the criminalization of African Americans over you know, hundreds of years. So there's there's no uh, there's no doubt that that's really an issue. Yeah. Dominique, going back to your your curiosity project about interviewing uh, with Milwaukeeans about how they see segregation. What would you? What do you want to see the outcome to be? Do you want more people uh, in who more white people to understand the, the disparities that are happening in communities of color? Do you want communities of color to better understand the the way that uh, the, the the city Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha are being um, are being viewed by by other people? What What would you like to see the outcome? Well, so I think it's twofold. On one side, and this is really around uh, the race and equity work, is that I I want 
white people here to begin to understand their privilege, understand how that shows up, and understand how these racist systems have created what we have today. So this didn't happen by accident. It was intentionally created to keep us apart, number one. Number two, I would like to start to see a more significant overlap. And so part of why I embarked on this curiosity project, I'm not from here. I grew up in a fairly racially diverse suburb outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, which I just learned was actually intentionally designed to be a multicultural Mm. suburb or city. And so what I learned, and when I look at my experience in um, the name of the city is Forest Park, Forest Park, Ohio versus here, is that we had some similar challenges, but there were there was enough overlap between race and culture that we did not occur to each other as altogether foreign. And so while I may not hang out with those kids, like I know enough about the critical pieces of your culture, music, art, you know, there's enough overlap where I can weave in and out of these cultures and out of these different spaces and cultures pretty seamlessly. And here, I think because of the deep segregation, there's literally a fear about engaging across these racial and cultural lines. So from for white people, I heard that like they don't know what to say or they don't they don't know if they should go to that part of town or they don't know how to engage with people of color because they may say or do the wrong thing. And for people of color, it was all about an exhaustion from having to be in white spaces primarily for work and then not wanting to engage in those spaces socially. So the other part of what I would like to see is for us to just build a muscle around difference, around being with people of difference and having the skills and tools to engage in conversations and dialogue with people who don't necessarily look or think like us. And, and Professor Levine, as, as we wrap up here, just to, as we see such a stark, I mean, the disparities in the, in the track record of southeastern Wisconsin, will it become a bigger deal? Because as we talked about the door opening a little bit here, uh, is that something that you think lawmakers, we saw with Governor Evers and others, uh, will, will start to take that information, take the data that's been collected and better understand their own communities? Well, I think so. And I, I think there are reasons for some optimism, but I think it's really important to keep kind of the foot on the accelerator here on, in bringing these issues to the forefront, because there are obviously lots of political interests that want to resist, you know, the changes that are going to be necessary to begin to change these disparities. I mean, there really has to be a hard look at how we can desegregate our communities. And that means looking at schools again, and it means looking at housing desegregation. It means looking at enforcing fair housing uh, building affordable housing in areas that have been resistant to accepting affordable housing. It means having jobs programs. You know, it means ha- investing in early childhood education. I mean, it really means making some fundamental changes, and that's going to take you know a lot of polit- political mobilization. So, as you know, Dominique talks about building muscles to have you know, a greater inclusiveness and equity. I think we need to build political muscles as well uh, to bring about those sorts of policy changes and. Um, mm optimistic with the mobilization that's occurred this this summer and the continuing mobilization that maybe we'll be entering a new era on that, one hopes. Mark Levine is the professor emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and founding director for their Center for Economic Development. And Dominique Samari is partner at P3 Development Group. She just wrote an op-ed for Urban Milwaukee titled A City and Life That's Segregated. We'll tweet that out at WBEZ Reset. Thanks to you both for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Very much. 
And that's today's Reset. You like what you hear? Tell your friends that the best in-depth conversations about their community happen each day here on Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you right back here tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.